Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 47. Now you're gone. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play a message from Gordon Mayer. Gordon was an editor at the University of Chicago student newspaper, The Maroon, where I was an occasional photographer beginning in the winter of 1989. Gordon very kindly said he was willing to do an interview over the phone, so after I play the message, we will hear his response. The message comes from the winter of 1989, and it is about seven seconds long. Here we go. Hi, Paul. Sorry I missed you before. Your phone was busy and now you're gone. Oh, my God. Clearly, I wanted something. It's funny. I don't remember the afternoon or whatever it was that I was reaching out to you, but it totally, I kind of almost remember it. And it sounds like something I would say, like, that maybe I had tried. I mean, even just, you know, the fact that you had a busy signal, you know, and so um, it's kind of an artifact from a different age, I guess. You know, I must have called and the phone was busy which either somebody was calling and leaving you a message or you were on the phone talking. And so by the time I called you back, you had gone out. I was the news editor, I feel like, around that time. And so I was helping with figuring out what the stories would be and asking people to write stories week by week and take pictures. When did you first start working for the Maroon? second year of college, I feel like I showed up over there my first year. I didn't do a lot that first year, but I did get more involved, and I spent a lot of time there, really most of college. In particular, then, like, one summer, must have been before my senior year, that I was the editor. And before that, I was the news editor. It really ended up kind of being the thing I spent the most time on, and like, in the sense that maybe I wasn't the greatest student, because I spent so much time at the Chicago Maroon. I spent a lot of time finishing all of my papers in the last year that of the incomplete that I had taken earlier in my time. I did them all in the newsroom. It was in, at that time it was in Ida Noise Hall on the top floor. It was a really beautiful space. There was like a long hallway. You walked past a kitchen on the right. Then you went into this kind of corner. There were two rooms. There was one that faced 59th Street and one that kind of faced towards the back of the building, uh, that little cloister area that now you look out and you would be able to see like the new business school. So on the left side, there were kind of the editorial offices. There was a, kind of a, like a beat up old wooden table in the middle. And then around the edge, there were some of those old wood desks with drawers. There would have been the time when Mac 512Ks, little small tan boxes with a keyboard in front, there were quite a few of those in the office. That's what was used to type the stories and then put the paper together. And then the other room was the production room, and there was some kind of linotronic printer in there that was used to print the final pages. The business office was right next door. Uh, and what I remember is that you know, we would spend quite a lot of time in those three rooms. It was totally a time when you could smoke up there. For whatever reason, it often took till quite late in the night, mostly because we probably didn't really know what we were doing, to produce the paper, get everything edit, written, edited, laid out, printed, and then you would finally be done. It'd be kind of the middle of the night and you would have to drive to Lansing, Illinois, which is where there was a 
they would take the pages and turn them into plates and then print the paper. And during the school year, it was a twice a week paper, like a Tuesday, Friday. And then over the summer, we did it once a week. How long was the paper about at that time? You know, it would be advertising supported. So you would find out like the day of early in the day, the paper was going to print. Like, you know, it's going to be a 10 page issue. It's going to be a 12 page issue. Something like that. But then it wasn't gigantic. It'd be a couple, three pages of news up front, a couple, three pages of features. There'd be a sports page or two, you know, and an editorial page or two. How big was the staff of the Maroon? There were a lot of people who worked at the Maroon. And, you know, some of the people who were there then have really gone on to, like, bigger news jobs. Julia Angwin was there at the time, and she's at ProPublica now, and Nelson Schwartz. I think he's at the Washington Post. I want to say there was like more than two dozen, several dozen folks who were a regular group that passed through there. John Scalzi, who's a, I mean, really, he's a best-selling science fiction author. There was one employee, and she managed the office. There were a couple of students who worked in the business office who did sales. And then there was somebody who was like a production manager, a production director. And then there was there was an editor who ran the place. There was a news editor. There were some voices, features editors. Some of the, the editors did get like a stipend, but I don't think it was a lot. And then maybe the editor got a more substantial stipend. But you know, I was the news editor. I didn't get a substantial amount. I don't remember how much it was. And then for the summer, I feel like I got some kind of stipend. But again, I don't think it was a tremendous amount of money. Whatever I was doing, I was definitely also working. So where would you have been living? I would have been living over at 838 57th Street, which is part of the hospital now. There were four of us. Maybe you remember Jean Lotus lived over there. She had a band. Mary Dean lived there too. There were like kind of two kinds of apartments in Hyde Park, right? There was like the railroad apartment with a long haul and then a lot of rooms that open off that long hall, kind of like you're on a train car. And that's the kind of apartment I live in now. And then there was the shotgun apartment where just like you went from one room, just kind of opened into the next room, opened into the next room. Um, this was not like either of those. I feel like it was, it was kind of a mess actually. It was an older building. It was a six flat. We were on the second floor and the floor was, uh, had like kind of a nice 10 degree tilt to the kitchen floor which made it easy to clean. Um, <laughs> although I don't think that we did a lot of that, if I remember right. I had a back bedroom that looked out onto the porch. We had an answering machine, and Gene had put, like, 30 seconds of music. They, you know what I think it was? The Barbie Army, which was the band, with, like, a little clip from one of their songs. And my grandmother called me, and she left a message and my grandmother was a German immigrant from the 1930s. And so she called, the message that she left for me was, oh, Gordon, I called you and somebody picked up the phone and they started playing a record. What kind of system is this? I think disgusting. Wow. I really wish Gordon had saved that message. It would have been great for this podcast. But I am hoping that others have saved old messages that they will want to contribute. One clarification, 
When Gordon said his old apartment building, 838 East 57th Street, is part of the hospital now, he meant that it was torn down and replaced by the massive Center for Care and Discovery, which was completed in 2013. All right, that's it for this week. Many thanks to Gordon for sharing his memories. If you left a message on my machine back in 1989 and would like to participate in this podcast, or perhaps you have old messages of your own, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.